I, I, I love that song that Hannah led, and it was beautifully led and beautifully, um, a beautiful accompaniment and beautiful singing. Church family, good morning. I've missed us. Feels like forever since we've been together. Two weeks ago, I was out of town, and then last week, when I was supposed to preach on sloth, I canceled church instead. Um, and uh, I just didn't feel like it. Uh, eight inches of snow didn't made the decision pretty easy. <laughs> and um, after the decision was made, um, I, I'm back at the house, and Sarah says. Randy, um, now that we're not having church, let's be the church. And so that morning in our neighborhood, we were and uh, helped out clearing some driveways. And I got this really cool um, card from one of my neighbors. And I just wanted to share this with you because it was so encouraging. Um, my neighbor is, uh, does not attend here at Windsor Road um, or any church that I know of, but such a sweet note. Um, Randy, thank you so, so much for, quote, being the church on Sunday morning and helping out so many neighbors with your snow blowing. Sorry you had to cancel services, but the hood was thrilled to have you here. So anyway, thanks so much. So my guess is that, uh, that many of you got letters like this as you were uh, out being the church. Just because we can't have church doesn't mean we can't be the church. Amen. Yeah, so anyway, um, but since we're here, let's have church, all right? And uh, we are in a series of messages uh, leading up to Easter in this season of Lent. Lent is a word that literally means long, referring to the longer days of, uh, uh, that come in spring, leading up, ramping up to the excitement of of Easter celebration, and, um, and we're in the series on the seven deadly sins called Glittering Vices, Glittering Vices, um, and we're going to talk about sloth this morning, sloth. So now, uh, why do we need to talk about the seven deadly sins? Uh, well, let me answer that with this question. Uh, does anybody here... Uh, know what I'm talking about when I use the phrase, the curtain of distraction. The curtain of distraction. Anybody? Okay, just a couple. All right, well, let me, let's, let's, let me enlighten us here. It's called the curtain of distraction. You can see it at every Arizona State University home basketball game. Uh, student sections, you know, all over the country try to throw their opponents off and make them lose their focus there at the free throw line, while the Arizona Arizona State University students have taken it to a whole new level. Just as the visiting player is about ready to shoot a free throw, two students pull apart two big black curtains to reveal a five-second surprise routine in the ultimate theater of the absurd. And we're talking, it could be anywhere from Elvis, it could be a shark attack, it could be a shirtless guitarist in pampers, uh, kissing unicorns seems to be uh, very popular, the opposing 
player at the free throw line never knows what's going to happen there uh, uh, as this curtain, which is right behind the field goal where he's shooting, he never knows what's going to come behind the curtain and uh, to destroy the focus of his free throws. And here's the thing, it's working. It's working. So two years ago, visiting teams missed 28% of their free throws. This year, 36% which gives Arizona State University a one-to-two-point advantage on top of the advantage of their home court. I mean, it's you can win a game or two or six. And it's a powerful image about distraction, which brings this question. What's behind the curtain for you? What's behind the curtain for you? What distraction is keeping you from scoring. What is that distraction? Well, that is really the question that is driving our series on glittering vices, the seven deadly sins. Because really, really, that was the question that led early church leaders way back from the fourth century to begin, you know, thinking through what is it that distracts us from our faith? What is it that distracts us from our walk with Christ? What is it that distracts us from being a fully devoted follower of Jesus? What is that? And we've been considering these glittering vices. Do you know the thing that will distract you? Because if you do not know your vulnerability, if you don't know know, where you are open to the enemy's attempts, To keep you from focusing on Christ, you're going to find yourself in you know, the same pattern. Do you know where you're vulnerable? Do you know your distraction? So we've been thinking through these distractions. And so this morning, I want us to consider what I think is the most misunderstood distraction. The most misunderstood of the seven deadly sins. And that is... Sloth. Sloth. The sin of sloth. So, let's. I have a visitor here today. I want to introduce you to sloth. Actually, I didn't bring this visitor. This is Aria's uh, friend, sloth. I don't know what to call him. We'll call him Sluggy. Sluggy the sloth. How about that, huh? I don't know what Aria calls Sloth, but this is sloth. I learned a lot about the sloth, National Geographic. Sloth. Do you know the sloth is the world's slowest mammal? I mean, uh, uh, the sloth can sleep up to 20 hours a day, usually 10 to 15, but up to 20 hours a day. When the sloth is awake, um, it can go for hours without moving. <laughs> okay, and then it's, it is so slow. I am not making this up. Algae grows on its coat. Really. And, uh, and it eats and digests food so slowly, it can take a month to digest food. The sloth. Yeah. Which means about 30% of its weight is in its belly. And it's got the long 
nails and long arms because it lives in trees. Generally hangs upside down. The mothers give birth upside down. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and then it can live up to 30 years doing all that. I mean, it's, it's not a bad life, right? I mean, am I the only one to think that? Not a bad life. You know, you just can never clip your fingernails. I mean, you know, sleeping 20 hours a day, giving up fingernail clippers. I'll take the sleep, man. Sloth. Sloth. Oh, and by the way, get your, uh, get your calendars out. I guess the, um, you know, National Geographic powers that be have designated... Uh, October 20th each year as International Sloth Day. You celebrate the sloth on October 20th. And you know what they do? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> nothing, nothing. They don't. I, no. So naturally, when it comes to thinking about a message on sloth, you know, the pastor's going to get up and go on a rant against Sluggy the Sloth, right? And, and the pastor's going to say, well, stop being like Sluggy. And Proverbs 6, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come upon you like an armed bandit, right? And this ranting sermon for 30 minutes is going to tell you to, you know, do more, try harder, work more, come on, get with it, zip, 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 right? And I could preach that sermon, but I don't think it would be very helpful to us. I really don't, and, and here's why. And I'm not saying this just to flatter us. I truly believe this. Um, a slothful congregation doesn't commit $4.5 million to all in for campus improvements, help in Haiti, and local community outreach. A slothful congregation doesn't do that. A slothful congregation doesn't send teams to Peru or the Dominican Republic or to Haiti or to Rwanda. We will hear about Rwanda later. A slothful congregation doesn't do that. A slothful congregation will not encourage you to uh, go out the doors after our services and stop by the table where our food pantry ministry is going to give you a sack so that you can remember the under-resourced in our community. A slothful congregation is not going to do that. You know, you're not slothful, not in that way. And so you might say, well, what, what, you know, then why do you want to talk about sloth? And here's why. A lot of people think that sloth is laziness in reference to labor. But what if there's a different kind of laziness? A sneakier kind of laziness. A stealthy kind of laziness. A more subtle, a more serious kind. That's what I want to talk about. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Revelation. Revelation chapter uh, 22, rather. Revelation chapter 2. You'll find that on page 1028 of your church Bibles. And the revelation is called the revelation of Jesus Christ, um, which God gave him to show 
what must soon take place. And then, he, then Jesus made this revelation known to the apostle John. So it's the revelation of Jesus to John. And it's addressed to seven churches in what is now the modern country of Turkey. And we're going to consider one of these churches, the church in Ephesus. Here's what Jesus had to say in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 2 through 5. Hear what Christ says about sloth, what it is, what it's not. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Stop right there. Do you hear what Jesus said about sloth, about what it is, about what it isn't? According to Jesus, sloth is not laziness in reference to labor. He says, I know your works. I know your toil. I know your patient endurance. He knows their work at being orthodox. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, but found them to be false. I know this. I know you're enduring patiently. I know you're bearing up faithfully. I know that, and you're doing all this for my name's sake. So, so to Jesus, sloth is not laziness in reference to labor. What does he say? He says, sloth is laziness in reference to love. To love. Sloth is... The abandonment of love. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You didn't lose it. You didn't misplace it. You've abandoned it. Sloth is the abandonment of love. Sloth is the avoidance of love. Sloth resists the demands of love. Sloth is self-induced spiritual apathy about love. Sloth hears Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 and let us consider how we may uh, stir one another on toward love sloth hears hebrews chapter 13 verse 1 let brotherly love continue sloth hears romans chapter 13 verse 8 owe no one anything except to love each other sloth hears those verses and says no i just don't want to I just don't, I don't want to anymore. I don't care to. Sloth lacks care. Sloth is without care. Sloth. Sloth comes from a Greek word, Acadia. Acadia. Our English word, acedia. Ah, without. Cedia, care. Without care. Sloth is without care. Sloth doesn't care. Sloth describes a heart that refuses to care. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, one of three boys, Robbie, Randy, Ricky. We'd meet around the dinner table, and invariably, one of us would start complaining about the plight of our life. We had too much homework, got too much work to do in our room. We'd start complaining and whining and griping. Usually, it was the two of them, never me. 
And then after our little griping rant, one of us would take our index finger and we would pull our lower eyelid down just like that. You know what that means? Do you see anybody in here who cares? We were brothers. We were brothers. That's sloth. Sloth refuses to care. Dorothy Sayers uh, is a writer. She said, Sloth believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there's nothing it would die for. Sloth. It's not laziness in reference to our labor. It's laziness about our love. Now, how does someone come to that? How does it How does it get to that? Well, ironically, it happens when you first become a Christian. When I became a Christian, Christ entered my life, changed my life. His grace flooded me. And I went from 0% forgiven to 100% forgiven. When you become a Christian... The Bible teaches that. You go from 0% forgiven to 100% forgiven the day you come to Christ. And I've been a Christian for uh, over 40 years. And after 40 years, I am, I am no more forgiven today than the day when I first came to Christ. And that's true for you. That's true for anyone who becomes a Christian Uh, I enjoy all of the blessings that the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 when he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say we have been redeemed, we've been adopted, we've been acquitted, we've been forgiven, we've been made right with God by the work of someone else for us. All of these wonderful, wonderful changes have happened. I've come from out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I've I've been rescued out of that by the work of someone else, Jesus Christ. 0% 0% forgiven to 100% forgiven. That's what happens. But, but then, see, here I learned something about myself. I learned that when Christ enters my life, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. But I learned something from that verse. I learned that when Christ enters my life, he doesn't just make a whole brand new Randy the very next day. Yes, it's true that I go from 0% forgiven to 100% forgiven, but I'm not yet the man that God wants me to be. I'm a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. And so are we. And I learned that There's a now and not yet dimension to my faith. Yes, I'm now adopted into God's kingdom, but I'm not yet where God wants me to be 
But one day I will. It's like there's two Randys living inside of me. There's the old Randy who's been crucified with Christ. And crucifixion's a slow death. It's a slow death. Paul did not say, I've been decapitated with Christ. That's a quick death. Crucifixion's a slow death. And just when I think that the old Randy's about ready to die, he wiggles on the cross, right? Convulses. The old Randy comes out, you see. The new Randy, day by day, being strengthened into the likeness of Christ. That's why we call Christianity a walk. Left, right, left, right, left, right. It's a walk. It's a journey by faith. And, and here's the word I want to give you. And I, I know it's a word you probably won't hear at Target or Meyer or a big box store, but it's an important word. It is the word sanctification. Sanctification. Sanctification is the process of me becoming the kind of person God already says I am in Christ. Sanctification is the process of me becoming the person God already sees me in Christ. So there's this overlap that's happening. This overlap, this now and not yet. And because there's an overlap, the old Randy, the new Randy, there's a war going on. There's opposition happening. And that's why Paul says what he says in Galatians 5, 17 For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Have you ever been there on that? Man, I have. And sloth says, I'm sick of that struggle. I'm sick of the fight. It's too hard. It's too much. I don't want to change God. I don't want to give you this part of my life. I want privacy here. I want privacy here. I'll give you Sunday morning. I'll give you 15, maybe 20 minutes a day in prayer and quiet time. But I want my little sovereign kingdom right here. I don't want you in it. Leave me alone. I'll take my privacy right here. That's what sloth says. Rebecca DeYoung has written a fascinating book called Glittering Vices, from which we've taken this series. And this is what she says. It's so good. She says, God wants to kick down the whole door to our hearts and flood us with his life. We want to keep the door partway shut so that a few lingering treasures remain untouched, hidden in the shadows. Sloth. It's not laziness in reference to your labor. It's laziness in reference to your love. And I think it's what sloth, I think think it's sloth that led a guy by the name of Wilbur Reese to write this poem. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. 
I want the warmth of the womb, not the new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. That's sloth. Listen, God loves you as you are. And he loves you too much to have you stay that way. He wants you to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And sloth is what happens when I resist God's efforts at making me more and more like Christ. Now, what does this resistance look like? What does this resistance feel like? Well, there are two classic symptoms to sloth. Two classic symptoms, and I put them in your outlines. Let me talk about them. The first is despairing resignation. Despairing resignation. Sloth afflicts us with hopelessness and futility. Sloth afflicts us with this, can I really make a difference? Is this really doing any good? Ministers can feel this. Teachers at school can feel this. Social workers can feel this. Anybody in the people helping business can feel this. You know, this, is this really doing any good? And sloth can turn us gloomy, and, and, and sloth can afflict you with this sense of dark, gray, clouded mopiness, and it can turn you into a, a binge-watching, junk-food-eating couch potato. I've been there. Despairing resignation. But there's a more sinister side to sloth that can sneak up on us if we're not careful. There's despairing resignation, but then there's desperate escapism. Desperate escapism. And I think that's what's going on with the church at Ephesus. Jesus says, I know your works, I know your toil. I mean, they were busy, they were diligent, they were lazy busy. And their busyness had detached their hearts from the love of God, making them slothful workaholics. C.S. Lewis once said, only lazy people work hard. You see, when you're in sloth, you can function, but you don't feel You can multitask, but you don't meditate. And this desperate escapism drives this incessant activity to go more, do more, accomplish more, achieve more, earn more, all while dodging the necessary relationships and conversations that need to take place from people who either want to share God's love with you or people who need God's love from you. And this desperate escapism, you know, it's shown up in my marriage. This May, Sarah and I will be married 31 years. And over the course of our marriage, you know, we've had this, um, I, I just call it this ancient argument that sometimes resurfaces. And it can be triggered by just a, you know, a sentence or a statement. We could be having a pleasant dinner out. And on the way home, you know, one of us could say something that will trigger this ancient argument. You know, 
It's the argument that says, you just don't understand what it's like to be me. You just don't, you don't understand what it's like to be me. And man, when, when that gets triggered, why? I mean, we get home and then we go off to our separate corners. And what happens there? Well, we just make ourselves busy controlling our own little sovereign private space, doing our little, doing our little tasks, doing our little chores, doing a hundred banal, empty things except the one necessary, important thing. Humbly walking across the room and me saying, honey, I'm sorry. I apologize for saying that. I apologize for wounding you. Do do I want my marriage? Well, yeah, I do. But do I want to do what it takes to have a healthy relationship? Do I want to honor my marriage's claims on me? Do I want authentic unselfishness in the moment-by-moment mundane task of living together? Do I want to do that? Uh, Tomorrow. Tomorrow. For now, I would... I just want to sulk in my own unhappy corner. For now, I just want to be lazy busy because it's just easier because I don't have to think or reflect or slow down. It's easier to avoid than to be vulnerable. It's easier to take a pass at the hard work of repairing the inevitable difficulties that occur in any relationship. It's easier to be distracted than Deal with the unhappiness brought on by my own pride. I wonder, I really wonder, how much of our trivial, screen-gazing, electronic escapism has to do with sloth. Desperate escapism feels safer, although it's ultimately unhappier than risking openness to love's transforming power. Can I get personal with you? I mean, where is the Holy Spirit nudging you in this? Where is the Holy Spirit poking you? What conversation have you been avoiding that you need today? Today. Is it in your family? Is it someone at the office? Maybe it's not with someone. Maybe it's just kind of a... You know, kind of a secret sin known only to you and God. And you're thinking, if I will just busy myself doing these nine religious things, God will overlook that one thing. But friend, let me tell you this. God will not allow us to redefine holiness on our own terms. God's going to challenge our sloth. Sloth is deaf to the call of love. Sloth avoids the needs of love. Sloth wants the security of love without the responsibility to love. Sloth wants the resurrection without the crucifixion. Sloth wants Easter Sunday without Good Friday. And that's just not going to happen. So now what? Now what? How does the gospel slay sloth? We'll take a look at verse 5. 
Jesus says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Wait a minute. I thought he said he already knew about their works. But he's saying, do the works you did at first. What work is that? What work is that? Ah, the work of faith. The work of faith. Someone once said to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work of faith, don't you see? The work of faith trusts Jesus when Jesus says, I've come that you may have life. The work of faith trusts Jesus when he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The work of faith trusts Jesus when he says in John 4, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Don't you see, sloth has to be dealt with vertically between myself and God before it can ever be healed horizontally. And Christ did that for us. He was never without care. He never resisted the call to love. He was busy, but it was a healthy busy destroying the work of Satan. And his despair came not over us, but in being separated from his heavenly Father for us on our behalf so that we wouldn't be separated from God. That's grace. Love-saturated grace is what slays sloth every time. Um, Anna Marie Cox is a journalist for the uh, UK publication, The Guardian. She's an American journalist. And um, last week she wrote a very insightful article called Why I'm Coming Out as a Christian. And uh, she had such a wonderful perspective of grace, the kind of grace that slays sloth. Here's what she said. If I understand God's grace correctly, the miracle of redemption is that I was found all along Because before I found God, I had unconsciously manufactured a higher power. And I spent a lifetime trying to earn extra credit from some imaginary teacher, grade-grubbing under the delusion that my continuing mistakes, missed assignments, cheating, and other nameless sins, these mistakes were constantly being held against me, and I knew in my heart that failure was inevitable. But what Christ taught me when I let myself be taught, is that there is only one kind of judgment that matters. I am saved not because of who I am or what I have done or didn't do, but I am saved simply because I have accepted the infinite grace that was always offered to me. And then here it is. There is nothing so great I can do to make God love me more. There it is. See, the, the answer to sloth is not for me to do more, try harder, run faster. The answer to sloth is in anchoring myself to the one who anchored himself on the cross for me. The answer is to sit in the fixed, 
unwavering, unchanging love of Christ on the cross. The cross that provides our covering. The cross that provides our cleansing. The cross that allows us not only to gather as the church, but to be the church. But to be the church. The cross makes it possible for God's spirit to move toward me in love so that God's spirit may move through me in loving another. So I have just one more question before I pray. Here it is. Who do we need to love today? Gracious God, you are so good. And we love you so much. Thank you for flooding us with your mercy. And thank you for creating a community of love in this place. Thank you that it is by sitting in the fixed, unchanging cross that we receive a love that empowers us to be extraordinary. A love from heaven itself. God, melt our heart of resistance so that your love can flow through us to the glory of our King, Jesus. And the church said,